We're going to be learning in Chidushim Aron Riz HaLevi, the first piece in Hilchus Chametzu Matzah. This is Parak Aleph Halacha Tess. And this is a somewhat short technical piece which deals with the nature of the prohibition of Chametz on Erev Pesach before the Torah prohibited it. The rabbis added on extra time of prohibition. So Rab Velvel tries to define exactly the nature of that prohibition. But as we'll see at the end, this is actually a very broad and fundamental issue of what is the nature of rabbinic prohibitions. So Rab Velvel is going to touch on a very key conceptual point through the prism of this technical discussion of the nature of prohibited rabbinic chametz on Erev Pesach. The Rambam writes, During the fifth hour, you're not allowed to eat chametz on Erev Pesach because it's a decree lest there be a cloudy day. So there's a concern that sometimes people might make a mistake as to what time it is. And they're not allowed to eat the chametz beginning on the sixth hour. So the rabbis pushed it back another hour just to be sure. So at the beginning of the fifth hour, you're not allowed to eat chametz anymore. Now, it's not prohibited to derive pleasure from the chametz during the fifth hour. It's only prohibited to eat it, but you are allowed to get pleasure for the fifth hour. So if someone has chametz that's truma or lechem toda, sacrifice in the Beis HaMikdash, or it's sanctified chametz, so they have to burn it because they can't eat it, but they don't need to burn it during the fifth hour. They just leave it. They don't eat it or burn it. Until the sixth hour when it's prohibited to get pleasure from the chametz. So then they burn the sanctified chametz. So now this comes from the Gemara in Pesachim Daf Yud Aleph. The Mishnah says, Rabbi Yehuda Omer Ochlin Kol Arba V'tolin Kol Chamesh V'sarfim Tchilas Sheish. That the fourth hour you can eat the chametz, in the fifth hour you leave it, and in the sixth hour you burn it. So that's the way Rabbi Yehuda in the Mishnah describes the timeline on Erev Pesach. So Rashi understands that it means during the fifth hour, you can't eat the chametz anymore, but you don't need to burn it until the sixth hour. So you can just leave it. The fourth hour, you can eat the chametz. During the fifth hour, you just leave it. And by the sixth hour, you have to start burning it. That's how Rashi understands the timeline. But the Rambam understands this word tolin differently than Rashi. It doesn't mean that any chametz you can leave during the fifth hour. It specifically refers to sanctified chametz. That such chametz cannot be burned during the fifth hour because since you could still benefit from this chametz, so you're not allowed to burn sanctified chametz if you could benefit from it. Only once the sixth hour comes and now it's prohibited to benefit from the chametz, then you're allowed to burn it. So the Rambam understands this line very differently. It's not that you're allowed to leave the chametz over during the sixth hour, which would apply to all chametz, as Rashi said. According to the Rambam, the Mishnah is telling us you must not burn the chametz during the fifth hour. And that's limited only to sanctified hektish chametz, which cannot be burned until it's unusable, and that's only at the sixth hour. So that's the debate between Rashi and the Rambam, how to interpret this line in the Mishnah, that during the fifth hour, tolin, you leave it. Does that mean you're allowed to leave it, and it refers to any chametz? Or does it mean you must leave it, and it's referring to chametz of hektish?
But Reb Velvel has a question on the Rambam's interpretation. The Rambam says that you're not allowed to burn chametz of hektish until it's totally unusable, but if you could derive benefit from it, even though you can't eat it, you're not allowed to burn it. So Rab Velvel asks, why should that be? The lechem toda, this sacrifice, is only given to be eaten. You're not allowed to derive other benefit from it. So if you have chametz of such a sacrifice, the only thing you could do with it is eat it. And once the fifth hour comes, you can no longer eat it. So why can't you burn it? What does it matter that you could still derive benefit from chametz when this lachme toda you can no longer benefit from because the only thing you could do was eat it and you can't eat it anymore. So why can't you go ahead and burn it? Why do you have to wait till the sixth hour when all chametz is prohibited to derive benefit and then you can burn the chametz of hektish? So how does the Rambam's explanation make logical sense that you can't burn the chametz of hektish even though you have no use for it because you can't eat it anymore until the sixth hour. So Reb Velvel explains that according to the Rambam, there are two different types of decrees that the rabbis made on Erev Pesach. The rule of the Torah is that you cannot eat chametz during the second half of the day, beginning at noon. So that's the beginning of the seventh hour. Now, the rabbis went ahead and they added two more hours onto that rule. So first they said that beginning at the sixth hour, you're no longer allowed to eat or derive benefit from the chametz. And then they added another hour that beginning at the fifth hour, you're no longer allowed to eat the chametz because of a concern for a cloudy day. Says Rab Velvel, those two hours were formulated differently. When the rabbis prohibited the sixth hour, they said that this chametz is prohibited. Even though the Torah said that it's not prohibited until the seventh hour, the rabbis added that the chametz becomes prohibited one hour earlier at the beginning of the sixth hour. But when the rabbis pushed it back to the beginning of the fifth hour, they did not say that the chametz is prohibited because in fact, the chametz is fine at that time. The only issue is that it might be a cloudy day, so someone might make a mistake and eat the chametz past the sixth hour. So to be safe, the rabbi said that the person is prohibited to eat chametz during the fifth hour. But that's a decree on the person, not on the chametz. They're not saying that there's anything wrong with the chametz. The chametz is fine up until the sixth hour when it becomes rabbinically prohibited until the seventh hour when it becomes Torah prohibited. But during the fifth hour, the chametz is fine. The issue is that the person is not allowed to eat the chametz. The rabbis decreed that in order to be safe on a cloudy day, the person has to stop eating chametz at the fifth hour. So that's the famous distinction between a gavra and a chefza, the person versus the object. In the fifth hour, the prohibition is on the gavra, and beginning in the sixth hour, the prohibition is on the chefza. And this idea comes from the language of the Rambam. He says, The rabbis prohibited eating chametz from the beginning of the sixth hour. From the beginning of the sixth hour, the chametz is prohibited to eat and derive benefit for the entire sixth hour from divrei sofrim, from the rabbinic law. 
V'shar hayom sulamala. Now beginning at the seventh hour, for the rest of the day, min ha-Torah, it's prohibited under Torah law. And then the Rambam says, Shachamishis ein ochlin ba-chametz, gzeir mishum yom ha-ma'unan. During the fifth hour, it's prohibited to eat chametz because of a cloudy day. So the Rambam differentiates that during the sixth hour, the chametz itself is prohibited. It's in Isr Chetza. During the fifth hour, the person is prohibited to eat chametz, but it's in Isr Gavra. It's on the person and not on the chametz itself. And the Rambam in the next halacha is even more clear. We learn that you're allowed to eat chametz on Erev Pesach until the end of the fourth hour. But you cannot eat during the fifth hour. Someone who eats during the sixth hour gets rabbinic lashes. Someone who eats from the seventh hour and up gets full lashes of the Torah. So the Rambam here says very clearly that if someone eats during the fifth hour, it's prohibited, but they get no lashes, not even rabbinic lashes. If they eat during the sixth hour, they get rabbinic lashes, makas mardus, and if they eat from the seventh hour and up, then they get lashes of the Torah. Now, why does someone who eats during the fifth hour get no punishment? What's the difference between the fifth hour and the sixth hour? Says Rav Velvold, it's like he explained. There is no prohibition on the chametz itself during the fifth hour. There's a prohibition on the person. But for that, they're not going to get lashes. As opposed to the sixth hour, which is identical to the seventh hour, the chametz is prohibited in both of them, except that in the seventh hour, it's from the Torah. In the sixth hour, it's from the rabbis. So that's why the lashes are different from the sixth hour to the seventh hour. But in both of those times, the actual chametz itself is prohibited, not just that the person is prohibited to eat the chametz, which is the case in the fifth hour. That's why there's no lashes at all. So there's some strong evidence in the Rambam for this idea that the nature of the prohibition of chametz during the fifth hour is not on the chetzah, it's not on the chametz itself. The chametz is fine. It's just that the person is not allowed to eat it. And that changes beginning in the sixth hour. So now this answers Rab Velvel's original question. Why, according to the Rambam, is it prohibited to burn chametz of hekdish during the fifth hour? So the answer is, even though the person can't eat it, but there's nothing disqualified about this chametz. The chametz is still fine. The person just can't eat it. So they're not allowed to burn it because it's hekdish. You're not just allowed to burn hekdish. Only once the sixth hour comes and there's a problem with the chametz itself, even though it's rabbinic, but the rabbis disqualified the chametz. So once there's an issue with the chametz, then the chametz of hektish can be burned. So that's why the Rambam differentiates that during the fifth hour, even though the person can't eat it, so they have no use for this chametz of hektish, they still can't burn it because there's nothing inherently wrong with the chametz. It's still hektish, so it can't be burned. As opposed to the sixth hour, when now the rabbis disqualified the chametz, so then it could be burned. So this explains the approach of the Rambam. Now, Rab Velvel ends with one question. The Yushalmi in the first chapter of Psachim says that according to Rabbi Yehuda, if someone takes off truma from chametz during the fifth hour, it does not work. It does not become truma. So that seems to imply that there is an issue with the chametz itself during that time, because otherwise, why doesn't the truma take effect? According to the Rambam, the way Rab Velvel explained him, there is no issue with the chametz. The person's not allowed to eat it, but the chametz is 
just as it always was. So why can't they take truma during the fifth hour? So this ruling of the Yushalmi does seem to contradict the Rambam's approach the way Rab Velvel explained it. So this is Rabbi Velvel's key point, according to the Rambam, that there is a difference between the rabbinic prohibition of chametz during the fifth hour versus during the sixth hour. During the fifth hour, the rabbis prohibited the person to eat chametz, but the chametz itself is unaffected, whereas beginning in the sixth hour, the rabbis prohibited the chametz itself. Now, even though he's talking about a very specific case, but this actually raises a much broader issue, which is when the rabbis make a decree, so the Torah left something totally permitted. The Torah said that this is allowed and the rabbis go ahead and say this is prohibited. What is the nature of a rabbinic decree? So there are two major ways to look at this. Either the rabbis are able to change nature or at least spiritual nature. So let's say the Torah says that non-kosher meat is prohibited, but this type of meat is kosher. And the rabbis go ahead and say that type of meat is now prohibited rabbinically. So they're changing the object which the Torah had said is fine, it's kosher, it's permitted to eat, and the rabbis are now saying this object is problematic on a spiritual level, and they have the power to change objects in that way. The other way to look at this is that the rabbis cannot change nature, only the Torah can. The Torah can tell us that something is bad for us spiritually, it's going to harm us, but the rabbis don't have that power. The only power the rabbis have is to regulate our behavior. They can tell us what we're allowed to do because the Torah said that we have to follow the directives of the rabbis. So if they tell us that meat is problematic, even though the meat itself is unaffected, the meat is fine to be eaten. There's no spiritual danger, so to speak, from eating this meat, but we are prohibited to eat the meat because we have to follow the rules of the rabbis. So those are two very different ways to understand the nature of rabbinic prohibitions. Are they on the object itself, like the Torah, or are they only limited to regulating the behavior of the people, but the rabbis cannot change the object? Now, this is a big debate. So the Nesivis in Simon Reish, Lamed Dalet, Sifkat, and Gimel writes that if someone accidentally eats something which is rabbinically prohibited, they don't need to atone for that. They didn't do anything wrong. So that indicates that he holds that the nature of rabbinic prohibitions are only on the gavra, on the person, not on the object itself. So that's why if someone mistakenly violates the rule of the rabbis, they mistakenly eat this non-kosher rabbinic meat. So they don't need to atone because they themselves didn't do anything wrong. They didn't intend to rebel against rabbinic law. They just made an honest mistake. So they don't need to atone. If they had eaten Torah non-kosher meat, so even though it was a mistake, they'd have to do something because they ate meat, which is harmful to them. But rabbinic prohibitions are not on the object, they're only on the person, so if it's a mistake, they don't need to do anything. That's the view of the Nesivis. Now, this is very controversial, and Rabbi Yosef Engel in the Asvando Reis and Klal Yud, so he disagrees with the Nesivis, and Rabbi Elchanan Wasserman in his Kuntris Divrei Sofrim, in Simon Aleph, he discusses this issue in Os Yud Zayin, and in Os Lamed Beis, he quotes that Rabbi Chaim himself disagreed with the Nesivis, and he held that the rabbis are a able to change the nature of something, the rabbinic prohibitions are on the object itself. And in fact, he talks about rabbinically prohibited chametz, that it's not just that the person is not allowed to eat the chametz, but the chametz itself is problematic. 
So there's a whole discussion about this issue. Now, Reb Velvel in this piece seems to be following the approach of his father, Reb Chaim, unlike the Nesivis, that the rabbinic prohibitions do change the nature of the object. Because Reb Velvel talks about two different types of rabbinic decrees. One is in the fifth hour on the Gavra, and then the second is in the sixth hour on the object itself. So we see that the rabbis are able to change the object and prohibit the chametz, and the chametz itself becomes problematic. So that's like his father, Rab Chaim, said, whereas according to the Nesivis, the rabbis would not be able to do that because the only thing they can prohibit is the people to eat the chametz, but they can't change the chametz itself. So Rab Velvel is following his father, unlike the Nesivis. Now there are those who also suggest interpreting the peace in Chidushim Aron Riz HaLevi and Hilchos Brachos along the lines. So in that piece, Reb Velvel had said that the nature of a bracha is that it's only on a mitzvah, not on a minhag, even though according to the Rambam, a minhag is as obligatory as any other rabbinic decree. They're both included in the mitzvah of Losasur that the Torah commands us to listen to the rabbis, but even so, a bracha is only on a mitzvah and not on a minhag. So some explain this distinction in line with this idea that a mitzvah is when the rabbis say that this object itself is a mitzvah. So they sanctify the object. The matzah at the second seder is itself a mitzvah. As opposed to a minhag is where the rabbis say that the person has to follow this law, but they don't change nature. So that's the difference between a minhag and a mitzvah. And a bracha is only on a commandment, not when one is commanded. So a minhag is when the person is commanded, but there's no bracha on that, only on the mitzvah, the commandment itself. So again, this distinction would be in line with the idea in this piece that the rabbis can change nature as well as obligate the person. They have the power to do both of those, except that there's only a bracha on the mitzvah, not on the minhag. Now, there's an interesting story about a conversation between Reb Shmuel Arbach and the Brisker Rav over this issue. They were very close. And this story is quoted in a few places in Rabbi Meller's Uvdos Van Hagos, Chelek Gimel, page 36, as as well as in the Sefer Tiferes Shmuel about Rav Shmuel Arbach on page 161, as well as in the Sefer Aliba de Shmuel on Yantif, again about Rav Shmuel Arbach, beginning on page 103. And there's some small differences between these versions, but I'm going to go through the version in the Sefer Aliba de Shmuel. So he has a long discussion about the view of the Nesivis, and he quotes that Rav Shimon Shkup in the Shari Yoshar Aleph Zayin, as well as Rav Elchanan in the Kovei Tsaaros on Yevamos Simen so they both explain that the Nesivis means, like we said, that the rabbis are only able to command someone to do something, but they can't actually change the nature of the object. So that's how Reb Shimon and Reb Elchanan understand this. Now, the Orsameach in Gerushin Aleph Yud Zayin and Reb Chaim Ozer in the Chuvas Achiezer Chelek Bez Simon Gimel Os Zayin. So they both discuss the issue whether according to the Nesivis it would be prohibited to give someone an Iser Durabanan that they don't know is prohibited. Would that be a violation of Lifnei Iver? Or because they don't know that what they're eating is prohibited by the rabbis, it's not a problem. So there's all sorts of discussion about this. 
But then he tells the story about the brisker Rav that someone once mentioned this Nesivist to him, that the rabbis are unable to change nature. And the brisker Rav responded, is there such a Nesivist? Or some versions have a stronger response that he said, there's no such Nesivist. So they brought him the Nesivist and they showed him that he does say something along those lines. So the brisker Rav was looking at the Nesivist for a while. And then he said that rabbinic prohibitions are internal to the object themselves. They're not only on the person. In some versions, he said, the Nesivist says, Ke'ilu, as if he didn't violate. In other words, it's just as if, but really the person did violate a prohibition. So basically, the Briskorov totally rejected this idea that it's possible to say that the rabbis only tell the person what to do, but they don't change nature. And then he quotes that someone once asked the Briskorov, is the halacha like the Nesivist about this issue? And he responded, chas v'shalom, certainly not. If a person eats even a rabbinic prohibition by accident, they have to do teshuva. So basically, not only did Rab Velvel disagree with the view of the Nesivis, that the rabbis can only tell someone what to do, but they can't change the object, but he couldn't even accept that there was such a valid view, and he minimized the view of the Nesivis to say that he would also agree that the rabbis are able to create a prohibition in the object itself, and that's the view that he reflects in this piece in Chidush Emeron Riz HaLevi.